You're listening to The Promise Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning. Come on, wasn't that time in worship just awesome? We don't, we don't play church. We don't go through the motions. We simply come to want to meet with him together. Amen. That the corporate expression of our time here together is meant to be an overflow of our time alone with him in our, in our homes and in the secret place. And we come together as one family and it just erupts in our love for the Lord. Come on. So good. Would you all stand with me real quick? I know you've just been standing for a while in worship, but I want to do this. Even though we don't have a lot of time, what I want to do, I I believe is needed and worth it. Uh, Many of you might know of a family who's been a huge impact to our church here, the the Corbin family, pastors Daryl and Michael Corbin. uh, They have been a huge impact to us as leaders and pastors for the last six years that we've been leading here. Uh, Daryl has been a pastor to us in many different ways. Their oldest daughter, their their only daughter, their oldest child, uh, Mariah, has been diagnosed with brain cancer. It's a very aggressive and rare form. She's already had one surgery to remove a tumor. She uh, has gone through six rounds of chemo, and this last Tuesday, she had a seizure, and they did another brain scan and found another tumor that was accelerating in growth. And so they're going in for surgery again on Tuesday. And these people love the Lord. They have given their lives for the church and for the kingdom of God for the Lord. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm tired of, of what's been happening in her body, uh, that it's continuing, and it needs to stop. And she needs to be healed. And they're contending in complete and total faith uh, for that healing. And so if you would, please agree with me just to stretch your hands to the south. They live in the Camas and Vancouver area. If you would just stretch your hands that direction. Lord, we lift up Mariah to you right now in Jesus' name. We lift up this family to you. And Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do. You are the healer. You are the great physician. And we ask, oh God, that you would come and remove this cancer from Mariah's body. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. We take authority over all sickness and disease and infirmity. And we ask, Lord, for what you paid for through the stripes in your back and through your shed blood and through your life on the cross, that it would be reality in her body. We ask right now, Lord Jesus, for total and complete healing. We plead your blood over her right now in Jesus' name. And we ask, oh God, that you would come and touch this family. Strengthen them, oh God. Fill them with your life and with your peace. Lord, I ask, God, that you would move on their behalf right now and heal her body in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. You can be seated. I want to just, it's a unique day. It's a unique moment. And I had some thoughts really planned for you uh, to share, even though it was within just a couple days of knowing that I would be speaking today. I, I still had some thoughts. And then, of course, you know, God takes over worship time, and which is what we want. We always tell him he has the full service. He has the full time. And we've been talking about the, the idea of lifting up our eyes and focusing on the Lord. 
above everything else, above all circumstances, above what's going on politically, what's going on economically, what's going on in our entire world, and to lift our eyes and put them on Jesus and what that looks like. And, and it's been really good. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I want to, though, let you know that the way that you keep your eyes on Jesus is realizing that there's so much more. The way that you endure and persevere, the way that you continue to go in this place of continuing in him and walking in him and lifting up your eyes above everything else is realizing all that he has for you and seeing him. I want to read the scripture. I have this one that will go on the screen. Some of the other ones I'm going to read for you, I don't think we'll have on the screen today. But Hebrews 11 says this, Hebrews 11, verse 24, verse 27 says this, by faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I'm going to say that last part one more time. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Think about it for a moment. Seeing Jesus who is invisible, he saw him. And that is what carried him in this place of perseverance. Moses thought he, I'm sure he grew up knowing that he was called and different and unique by God. God rescued him from the clutches of death as a young baby and put him in Pharaoh's home to be raised in that way, in that culture. But yet he knew all along that he was a Hebrew boy and he grew up amongst the people of his own that were slaves, that were enslaved in Egypt. And he probably knew that he was given and called by God to help deliver his people. And so he, in his own strength, one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and he kills that Egyptian soldier in a sense, trying to take his destiny into his own hands. And then all of a sudden, he, Pharaoh hears word of it. He was, he's afraid for his life. He flees Egypt. He goes into the wilderness. And for 40 years, he is a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. And then one day, God appears to him in a burning bush. And it says that God noticed that he was coming to the bush. And so he began to speak to Moses from the bush. And when Moses realized who it was, that it was God speaking to him. It says that Moses hid his face from the bush because he was afraid to look at God. How does this man from in that moment who turns his face afraid to look at God ends up persevering through all kinds of crazy circumstances because he saw the invisible one? How did he go from afraid to look to persevering because he saw? I've been in this journey of just reading in Exodus and reading in, about Moses. And it's, I'm telling you, there is so much more. Moses experienced things on this earth with God that many of us in a new and better covenant have not even cl been close to experiencing. And there's something burning in me that says, if Moses had that with God, I can have that and more. 
If Moses had that before the cross and before Jesus, I can have that and more. And yet so often we settle. So often we just want what's normal, what's status quo, what's comfortable. Instead of pressing in for more. I just want to read a couple <laughs> a couple things from Exodus that will hopefully just shake you to your core. Exodus 19. This is God speaking to Moses. This isn't going to be on the screen. I just encourage you to write these passages down and read them later as well. Exodus 19.9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Down to verse 16. This is when it actually happens. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Think of it. They heard this. They saw this. Everyone in the camp trembled. I would too. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. This is the role of a true leader, to lead their people out to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace as the whole mountain, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord began to speak to him. In this moment, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And then I want to skip to chapter 20 and verse 18. It says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God, notice it's different than being afraid of God, but the, the, the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Verse 21 of chapter 20, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The people remained at a distance, but Moses approached where God was. I don't know about you. I, like Aaron said, we're brothers. We've grown up in church our whole lives. I've, I've rarely been in moments where I could not stand in the presence of God. I've rarely been in moments where I could say something like that I experienced. And we are blessed. We've been blessed to grow up in this church pretty much our whole lives to be in many moments and amazing services where God moves powerfully. I'm telling you, there's so much more. And Moses, he, he was willing to pay whatever price it was. 
to be in the presence of God. Later on from this moment in chapter 20, when he got the 10 commandments, he's with God in the, on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And God tells him, hey, you need to go back down to the people because they began to worship idols. And he goes down there and he throws the stones down and they break. And there's this amazing, well, not amazing. There's this crazy moment of judgment and, and repentance on the people. And then God tells Moses, I'm done with these people and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And this is Moses's response. Oh Lord, please don't do that. I mean, if he had selfish ambition, that was his moment. If he wanted it to be about him, that was his moment. And he said, Lord, what would that do for you, the reputation of you? What would that do in the nations of the world if you did that? And he said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, we aren't going anywhere. All we want is your presence. And he said, Lord, if I have found any favor in your sight, please teach me your ways that I may know you. And Lord, please don't leave us. We must have your presence. And God says to him, my presence will go with you and I will be with you. And Moses in that next moment says, Lord, then show me your glory. Here he is in the cloud, in the thunder, in the lightning, in the glory of God for over 40 days and something in him recognized there was more. Before this, even in Exodus 24, you should write this one down, this chapter, Exodus 24. There's a moment where God calls Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons who are to be the priests and the elders of Israel to come up to the mountain to be with him. And they go up to the mountain and it says that they saw God standing there. And it was like he was standing on lapis luzi. Like they couldn't describe it fully, but they tried their best. That it was like a sea of glass, of turquoise that he stood upon. This is what they saw. And it says that they saw God and they ate and drank and God did not kill them. This is the God that we serve. This is who we follow. This is who we are to know. This is who we worship. This is who we are to love. Moses said, show me your glory. He knew that there was so much more. Something in him caused him to cry out for more, even though he was in one of the most glorious of moments. It was it said that there was a tent called the tent of meeting outside the camp, and that every day Moses would go to the tent, and as he would go, the whole nation, all the people would stand up outside of their tents and watch the spectacle of Moses walking to his tent. And it says that the cloud of glory would fall upon his tent. And as that cloud would fall, all the people outside of their tents would stand and worship the Lord. And it says that God would speak to Moses in that tent face to face as a man would speak to his friend. And that Joshua, son of Nun, his aide, would remain right outside the tent. Moses would hear the instructions from the Lord and be with the Lord face to face. And he would leave the tent, but Joshua would stay. Why do you think God picked Joshua to lead the nation into the promised land after Moses' time had passed? Because he was a person who valued the presence of God. He was a person who wanted all of God, all that he had. He knew that there was more. 
God, you just came down in this cloud and Moses was with you, but I want more. May we be those Joshua's. May we be ones that will remain in the presence of God and push past comfort zone, push past the norm, even push past what a leader has set an example of. I want to read this passage for you in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, this is speaking about Moses, about the law, the 10 commandments, what he received from the Lord on the mountain. By the way, when Moses came down the mountain a second time with the tablets of stone that God engraved on stone with his own finger, it says that Moses's face was shining so brightly that the people were freaking out. And they had to tell Moses to put a veil to cover his face in order for them to feel okay with being around him. This is what Moses experienced with God. And it says this about Moses, about what he received from the Lord. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, this is Moses and the law, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitionary though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpass, with the surpassing glory. And what was trans- transitory came with glory. How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, because of this, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds are made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It, was, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with what? Ever increasing glory to go from glory, from glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. There is so much more. And we've even settled for less than what Moses experienced. And God says what we have in the new covenant through Jesus is way more glorious than whatever Moses had. And we often will settle in a land of comfortability. Why? Because we're not even living our lives with the end in mind. Moses persevered. Moses resisted the fleeting pleasures of sin in Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. Most churches, lots of leaders 
are afraid to challenge their people, are afraid to preach messages about repentance and holiness and righteousness because they don't want to offend. They don't want to sound condemning. There should never have been a title about preachers called holiness preachers. Why? Because they should all be holiness preachers because we should be Christians that live holy unto the Lord. You can't go closer to the Lord and it not cost you something and you consecrate yourself and there's more holiness that develops inside of you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, New Testament scripture, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Moses persevered because he saw the one who was invisible when you've seen him, when you experience him, when you know him and you desire him above all else, perseverance kicks in. All of a sudden, endurance kicks in. Appeal to sin is gone. Holiness is developed. Holiness isn't about you trying in all of your strength and all your effort to make something happen. When you receive Jesus as Lord, when you receive him and you receive his perfect work of what he accomplished on the cross, you're making every effort to be holy is simply saying, Lord, I give you every part of me. I surrender fully to you. Have your way. I yield to your saving work in my life. That is how you make every effort to be holy in your life. That means he's in charge. That means he is king. He is Lord. And you recognize that one day you will stand before him and have to give an account for your life. You are living your life with the end in mind. Many, like I said, many preachers and pastors don't live or don't even lead their churches with the end in mind. I preach, we preach, we lead this church in a way recognizing that one day we will have to give an account to God for how we pastored you, how we led you and what we said and what we didn't say. I do not want to, none of us want to hear at the Promised Church as our team and our pastors and leaders to stand before the Lord and he, he say, you didn't preach the full gospel to them. You did not create an atmosphere where I could be present for me to be experienced. We want every person that would step in these doors to walk into a place where they can know God's there where they hear every part of what the truth of God's word says. There is, a, there is a, a nasty, demonic, terrible teaching and thought process out there called progressive Christianity. And I'm telling you right now, it's not even Christianity. It's a doctrine of demons. To tolerate sin to tolerate same-sex marriage, to tolerate homosexuality and sexual morality of any kind, cohabitating or anything, and say that it's okay. It's not okay. To tolerate drunkenness and substance abuse in this world, it's not okay. You will have to stand before the Lord and give an account to Him for every word you say, for everything that you do with your life. And you must know that. And he is holy. Above all else, he is holy. And there is so much in him that we have yet to experience, that we have yet to grasp, that we have yet to enjoy. He is matchless in wonder and beauty. And he alone will satisfy you. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life. Just as Jesus speaking in this scripture, this is eternal life, to know God 
to know his son, to know Jesus. He is the satisfaction of our souls. He is the bread of life who will fulfill you completely and in every way. He alone will satisfy you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to heaven except through Him. There is no other name in heaven or on earth by which mankind will be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. We should never apologize or be afraid or ashamed that there is only one way to heaven. We should be thankful and grateful from the abundance of our heart of an overflow that God made a way. That in His mercy and His grace and His kindness, He made a way. And eternal life doesn't have to be waited upon and to be received once you enter into eternity. Eternal life can begin and can be experienced right now, today. I want you to know heaven is not heaven because of all the things that are there. Heaven is not this most glorious and enjoyable and amazing place because of the stuff there. Heaven is heaven because He's there. Because He's there, unhindered, fully and completely. And if we're looking forward to a day to experience stuff that might be in heaven, we've missed it. If we're looking forward to a day where we can go there and experience a life where we are free from sin, we've missed it. If, if we are waiting to be set free from sin when we died and go to heaven, then heaven has become your savior and not Jesus. You are a partaker of the divine nature. Everything that Jesus paid for in his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross and through his resurrection was to enable you to live a life free from sin. That means you might make a mistake, but it doesn't mean that you have to. You have received the divine nature. You have received all that you need for life and godliness. And we are to add to our faith goodness and love and perseverance and endurance and all these things that are in 2 Peter chapter 1. We are to add to our faith this. And it says that those who do not are nearsighted and blind and have become ineffective in the kingdom of God. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have received a new nature. We have received Jesus. We have received all that we need. And I'm telling you, there is so much more. Please stand with me. Thank you for your patience and allowing me just to share what I felt like God put on my heart in this moment. And I'm telling you that the Lord is, He is asking us for more as we are wanting more of Him. As God said to Moses, consecrate the people for in the, on the third day, I'm coming on top of the mountain to you. There is this place where we must be surrendered, where we must be yielded, where we must say, Lord, have your way. You want to come and interrupt a service? You want to come and pour out your spirit and worship? God, you want me to dance? You want me to shout? You want me to sing? You, you want me to raise my hands? You want me to tell my neighbor about Jesus? You want me to tell my coworker about Jesus? You want me to do the jad card with a stranger in Safeway? You, you want me to, to do this or do that? Okay, God, I'm yours. You want me to give that up? You want me to stop that? You want me to cancel that subscription? You, you want me to? Okay, God, I'm yours.
You want me to stop watching that? You want me to stop being around that? Okay, God, I'm yours. God, we are hungry for you. Lord, even this morning in this amazing atmosphere of worship before you and in your presence, Lord, we say, show us your glory. Lord, though many might stay back at a distance, Lord, we say, God, we will come to you. We don't want to worship from a distance. We don't want to stay away. We don't want to stay at the foot of the mountain. God, we will come to you. Lord, all we desire is you. We set our eyes on you, the invisible one, who we can see in our hearts and in our spirits. And Lord, we ask that one day we can see you with our eyes, even on this earth before we enter eternity. Come to this house, have your way. Let us be a people that you can trust with yourself. Let us be a people that you want to hang out with. That you would stay here. You would not be the guest of honor because you're not a guest. It's your house. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Let us not be caught up and consumed with the things of this world and the chaos and the weirdness of our day. Let us not get fatigued in in what is going on or weary in doing good, but Lord, we set our eyes upon you that we would persevere because we have seen you. And we lift up our eyes to behold your beauty, your wonder, your majesty, and declare over everything in our world that there is no one like you and that we love you and we give you our lives and we give you our attention, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.